Okay, Nehemiah chapter 9. Uh, I hope that you, you do have your Bible open. You read through it. I'm really only going to cover the first verse, uh, but I'll give you an overview of the whole uh, chapter as we begin. But really, that first verse, when we look at what they're wearing, their attire tells us something about the way that we are to come to the Lord, the way we are to be uh, people who have a confession of a posture of confession, rather. So as we open up to Nehemiah 9, we see that the revival that we read about last week in chapter 8, where they were just doing the, the, the festival of shelters, has continued on. Uh, the hearts of the people have been transformed by the grace that God has shown them in the rebuilding of the city, and their response is to worship and praise God night and day together. They're opening the Word of God, and they're reading the Word of God over and over. And that's what we see in chapter 9. In verse 1, we see that the people assembled with repentant fasting, and they're in sackcloth and dirt. They separated themselves from the foreigners and confessed their sin together, verse 2. And they spent 12 hours together in worship every day. Some of you guys look at me like I'm abusing you if we go over one hour. They're spending 12 hours every single day in worship to God. And the way that this is split up is for six hours, they would read Scripture and have a sermon preached to them on the Scripture. So they would read Scripture and it would be explained to them. This sermon, for your sake, will not be six hours. But this was something they were doing not on Sunday. This is like a random Tuesday. They're doing this every single day. For six hours, they get up and they read from Leviticus. And then it would be explained for six straight hours. And then what do they do for the other six hours? Well, they get together and they pray and they confess their sins to God and to one another. Uh, and then certain Levites in verse 4, uh, which would be like the religious professionals, cried out to the Lord. And at some point, they were called on by the leaders to stop the weeping. They were told to stand up and bless God. That's verse 5. The prayer that occupies the rest of the chapter begins in verse 6. And it is the longest recorded prayer in all of the Bible. You can read it for yourself this week. From verse 6 to the end of chapter 9, we get this very, very long prayer. And it's all this prayer is about is the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of the people. And they're saying, because God, you are faithful, not because we are faithful, but because you are faithful, we trust that you will hear our confession and you will pardon our iniquities and you will heal us. That is what our only basis for forgiveness is from God and from one another is what God has done for us, not what we can do for ourselves. That begins in verse six. Now, I am certain that what kicked off this national confession was the reading of Leviticus 26. So you remember, they're just opening the Bible and they're reading it uh, line by line and they're explaining it. Well, when they got to Leviticus chapter 26, what they would have seen is something that probably amazed them. It was written 1400 years before. And in Leviticus 26, what we see is the covenant that God made with Israel. And in this covenant, he tells them, if you disobey me, all of these terrible things are going to happen to you. And they would have been like, wow, that's amazing because all these terrible things happen to us, including, you know, he, God said when he made this covenant that we'd be in slavery. We would lose the land if we did not obey his laws. And sure enough, these people have just come out of slavery. But what would have really caught their attention and made them excited was when they got to verses 40 and 42 of Leviticus 26. It says, but when they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness that they practiced against me and how they acted with hostility toward me. And I acted with hostility toward them and brought them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will also remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. And that probably for a lot of them would remind them of something that their grandfathers told them. Because there's a promise that God made far after this 1,400 years ago where the covenant in Leviticus is made. Something God told His people in the days of Solomon and David. And it would have been reminded to them on and on and on throughout the, the ex, before the exile, before the slavery. In this Israelite period would have been a verse that is still very famous today. And that's 2 Chronicles 7, 13-14. 
Verse 13, it says, if I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, a lot of times the way I hear this verse used is by people who are trying to like be political on Facebook, and they'll use it like my people is America, which is not true at all. The my people here is Israel. It's God's people, which is something very important for us as God's people to remember. When we look at the world that's falling apart around us, and we say, you know, man, I wish the whole nation would confess and repent of their sins, that might be fine for you to wish that, but ultimately, do you know where it starts? It starts with us. We cannot expect the pagans to confess their sins to God and repent until we, the church, are doing it. Until we are willing to get humbled and on our face and confess our sins to the Lord, we ought not expect any healing in our land. This is where it starts. It starts with the confession of God's people. And so here we see in Nehemiah 9, they're really the climax of the book of Nehemiah because the people are doing it. They're confessing their sin. As we look at this as a reader, we're like, look, the Reformation has finally taken place. The people have the right heart. They're now finally before God, humbling themselves and confessing their sins. And really, that's what this whole sermon is about. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. But I want to talk about this idea of confession because it's not just for the Israelites. Confession is how we all prosper in this faith. Confession is what God wants for each and every one of us, not just the Israelites. But if we fast forward thousands of years, it's what God still wants for each and every one of us. In Proverbs 28, it says the one who confesses his sins will prosper. Whereas the one who does not confess his sins will not prosper. If you want your family to prosper, fathers and mothers, you need a house that is full of confession. Not a house that is full of, you know, we're going to pretend to be perfect and the kids don't get to see anything that's wrong and we never say sorry for anything because we're the parents. No, you want a house that is full of, dad messed up and I'm sorry. And I prayed to God already and I told him I'm sorry. But I want to confess my sin to you as well. A house that is often and always confessing their sins to one another is a healthy house. An unhealthy house is a house where we let the sins build up. You know, it's like a land that has weeds that are growing in it. If you want a land with weeds, do you know what you do? You do nothing. They just pop up. But if you want a land with no weeds, you have to constantly and consistently be pulling out those weeds. And the way we do that in our hearts is through confession. Constantly and always confessing our sins to one another and confessing our sins to God. And not just a family, but that's what makes a healthy church family. The reason why church families split over silly little things is not because of the silly little things. It's because of all the resentment that has built up over the years where they should have been confessing sins to one another over and over and over again. But they let those resentments build up and then all of a sudden something very small to the outside world causes a huge church split. And it wasn't the small thing at all. It's not the small thing that caused your divorce. It's not the small thing that caused your kids to hate you. It's the years and years and years of sin that went unconfessed to God and to one another. This is the beginning of all healthy change. It's the beginning of all prospering that we have in the Christian life. And we're going to look just at that first verse, that weird verse where they're, they're wearing uh, these, this weird clothing. And, and the reason why we're doing that is because that's the posture we must have with confession. And it's the reason why you and I, we don't want to confess. It's the reason why it's so difficult and why it's so much easier for us to just conceal and cover up and make everybody think we've got it all figured out when we really don't. So let me pray for us and we'll jump in. Father God, thank you so much for this word. God, I'm, I'm so grateful that as we open it, we, we're opening the very words of God. We're not left wondering what you would say to us. We're not left wondering what, what we might should do. God, because you've given us a book. You've given us your revealed will. You've told us what you want from us. God, forgive us that we often ignore it. Forgive us, God, that we often let it sit on a shelf somewhere collecting dust. 
God, I pray that as we open it today, you would use it to bring life to our congregation. You would use it to bring life to our families. God, today somebody would make the very brave decision to come out from underneath the covering of their own fig leaves. And they would trust in your covering. And they would appear before you humble, willing to confess. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. All right, verse 1, it says, On the 24th day of this month, which is the same month uh, of the festival that we talked about last week, the Israelites assembled and they were fasting, wearing sackcloth and had put dust on their heads. So the, the sackcloth that they're wearing would have been made out of coarse uh, camel hair. It would have been very uncomfortable to wear, scratchy and itchy and very ugly. You can think of it like, a, this is what I thought of this week, like a potato sack. If you, if you were to take one of those potato sacks that you race in, uh, you know, do the, do the bunny hop race, you cut a hole uh, where the head would be and you put that on, that'd be like what you were wearing. And then on top of that, what they would do is they would take dirt and they would throw it in their hair. So they show up to the assembly of God's people in a potato sack with dirt on their hair. This is the exact opposite of what you and I do. When we show up to the assembly of God's people, what do we wear? We, we tend to wear our Sunday best. You know, we, we, we want to wear, we want to fix our hair before we come. Uh, we put on our best clothes and, and we try to show up our best image to one another. That's the opposite of what the Israelites are doing here. They're showing up literally in a potato sack with dirt on their hair. It would, it would have been absolutely humiliating to look that way. And you say, well, why are they doing that? And the reason why they're doing that is because they wanted on the, what was on the outside to match what was going on on the inside. It, it's not any different from you and I when we go to a funeral of a loved one. What kind of clothes do we wear? We wear black clothes. Why? Well, because we want our outside to match what's going on on the inside. That's exactly what's going on here. Uh, And this is the reason why you and I often don't confess our sins, because we are more concerned with the outward appearance of the way we look than we are what's actually going on inside our soul. That's why we wear our Sunday best often. And we show up with a smile on our face to a place like this, even though we were just fighting with our spouse all the way over here. We were just yelling at our kids, threatening to kick them out of the house if they don't do what we tell them to do. And yet when we show up on Sunday morning, we get to the door. It's, hey, brother, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you doing great? I mean, we're all just doing so good. And then we get back in our car after and we fight over where we're going to eat lunch. Don't lie to me. You guys have been there. Why? Because we care about what's on the outside. I care about what you think of me. I care about not what you can't see, but what you can see. And here's the main idea from this first verse. Is that you cannot expect to confess your sin and keep your reputation at the same time. And the reason why is because confession of sin is literally you saying you're going the wrong way. That you've messed up. That what you did was not the right thing to do. And this is hard for us. I think it's especially hard for men. Uh, It is, at least for me, uh, especially, you know, like a great way to illustrate this is what happens when you're in the car and you're going somewhere. And I don't know about you, but uh, oftentimes my wife is my navigator and uh, we'll be going somewhere and she'll be pretty certain that we're supposed to turn right. And I'm pretty certain that we're supposed to turn left. And I'm the man of the house. So we turn left. And usually within like three minutes of turning left, I realize we should have turned right. But I... Do not stop and say, we should have turned right. What do I do? I begin thinking in my head, how can I get out of this? Like, how can I find some kind of side road to make her think that turning left was actually the right thing to do? Because I don't want to repent. I don't want to turn around. I don't want to have to say out loud, you were right and I was wrong. Again, I don't like saying that to my wife. Maybe you guys do. I don't like saying that to my wife. It's hard. It's humiliating. And that's exactly what you're doing when you're confessing your sin. You're saying, I thought that this was true about marriage, or I thought that this was true about money. And I've got to confess that that is not what it is. Another reason why we don't confess is because of what is called a sunk cost fallacy, uh, where you know, you've invested so much time in this thing that you don't want to stop it. 
uh, J. Cole, which is a rapper none of you children should ever listen to. But in high school, I listened to, to J. Cole. And he's got this line that is always stuck in my head uh, as just like a great line. He said, uh, it goes something like, congratulations, you've came a long ways, but you went the wrong way. And I thought about that for a lot of people in life. A lot of the things that the world defines as success, the Bible would define as failure. And so for somebody to repent, it's really hard when you're a successful person. When you've went a long ways down this road and all of a sudden you've got to say, I've wasted the last 30 years of my life. Or or you come and you find that you're in a relationship that God would say is not a godly relationship. And you've got to say, well, I've invested all this time in this person and in this relationship. And now I've got to admit that it was all for nothing. It was all wrong. Do you see why confession is hard? Do you see why it's humiliating? Do you see why it's like showing up with a potato sack on and dirt in your hair? And it's the reason why so many of us do not want to do it. And every one of us cares about what someone thinks. I always, when somebody tells me, I don't care what anybody thinks, Blake, they're usually the most uh, least self-aware person that I've ever met. I mean, generally, they're just right up there because they're usually the ones who care the most about what people think. Every single one of us, it's the way God made us, we care about what someone thinks. And you might not care what everyone thinks, but I guarantee you there's someone that you care about their opinion. And usually it's someone's whose opinion you care about. The kid who goes to the, the school dance and doesn't want to wear what all the other kids are wearing, so they you know, purposely dress in some kind of outfit that makes them stand out, cares about standing out. It, for them, it would be humiliating to show up in a dress. See, they're caring about what somebody thinks just as much as what everybody else cares about. They're just caring about it in different directions. All of us have a hard time putting on a potato sack and dirt in our hair. And, and if you are the kind of person that says, I would love to wear a potato sack and dirt in your hair, then you're probably the kind of person who would be ashamed to show up in your Sunday best. Because we all care about what someone thinks. And this is what makes confession so difficult. Because I have to admit to you that I'm wrong and it's humiliating. This is what happens supposed to every time when we read God's Word. God's Word sets a standard for us that we cannot reach. It says all these things about what the perfect human is. Or we lift up Jesus Christ as the perfect human. And what you're going to see is deficiencies. You're going to see areas in which you do not match up. And what you have when you have an opportunity to see yourself in light of the Bible, in light of Jesus, is an option. You have two options. The first option is that you can conceal, you can cover yourself, pretend like you have it all together, or you can confess your sin. You can confess that I am wrong and Jesus is right. You can confess that what you've been doing is not the right way to do things. One is humiliating and humbling, and the other seems better in the moment. But ultimately, all it is is a covering that will eventually fall apart. Now, I know you guys do this because we all do it. Since the garden, Adam and Eve, at the very beginning when God creates the world, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, uh, which has a lot more to do with their soul than it does actually their physical nakedness. It it meant that they had nothing to hide. They were perfectly innocent. Uh, And it's something that I think all humans go through. Uh, In fact, I was thinking about my daughter this morning. Uh, She is like that. she, She can be naked and unashamed. She's completely innocent. She does not care what people think of her at all. Because she has nothing to hide. So it doesn't matter if, she's, if she wants to fart, she'll fart. Uh, here in a little bit, she'll probably start yelling at me. Uh, she doesn't care if everybody looks at her. Uh, you know, we've probably blown out like seven different outfits because she keeps pooping through her diapers. And she has no cares in the world. She's not embarrassed at all like us adults would be embarrassed. Why? Well, she has nothing to be ashamed of. She's completely innocent. This is how Adam and Eve were in the garden. And, and then what happens? Well, they sin. And all of a sudden, they have something to begin to hide. What I know about my daughter, and it breaks my heart in in a lot of ways, is eventually she's going to grow up. And what's going to happen is somebody's going to make fun of her. Something about her is going to be something that somebody's going to say, that's not right. You should look like this, and yet you look like this. 
Or they're going to say something mean and hurtful to her. And you know what she's going to begin to do? She's going to begin to craft in her mind this kind of image that she knows people will like. She's going to begin to craft in this mind a lovable image. By the way, people applaud her when she does what the world says is the right thing. And by the way, the world shuns her when she says, when they say what she's doing is wrong. She will begin to build these defenses so she can present herself as this certain type of person that is a lovable person. And by the way, friends, you and I all do the exact same thing. We come into a place like this, and it's why I don't ever hear any of you guys say a curse word in this building. And yet, if we were out on the golf course, I might hear you say curse words. Why? Well, because you have an expectation of the way you're supposed to act in a place like this. And so you put that expectation out to people. But in reality, all it is is a mask. All it is is a covering for the real you. It's not a real covering. And see, what happens to Adam and Eve is after they sin and they fall, one of the first things they do is what? They go and they find fig leaves to cover themselves. They realize they're naked and they're covering up. And this is supposed to make us laugh. It's, it's supposed to be Israelite humor. Because how in the world could fig leaves actually cover these people? You can see right through it. And like God wouldn't know that they were naked. And yet we do the exact same thing, friends. When we put on these fig leaves, we think that we're putting out this image to the world. But we're not as good as hiding what's going on as we think we are. And even if you are really good at hiding what's going on in your life, guess who you cannot hide from? You cannot hide from God. He knows that your marriage is failing. He knows that your kids are a mess. He knows about that sin that you think you've hidden from everybody. He knows the thoughts in your head. He knows it all. And you cannot hide from Him. But you can try to hide from other people. And we all do it. We all have uh, these kind of fig leaves that we put on. Uh, I thought of just a couple this week as I was preparing the sermon. One of the ways that we put on uh, these kind of fig leaves is, is we have excuses. It's one of the things that keeps us from confessing our sin as sin is we say, well, you know, you don't understand. I wouldn't have had to have talked to her that way if she wouldn't have talked to me that way. Instead of calling what you said a sin, you, you, you blame somebody else. You have excuses. Or if we had more money, we'd be able to obey God. Or if we had less money, we'd be able to obey God. I don't know anybody who says if they had less money to be able to obey God. But, but I'm assuming that you could do that. You know, if, if I wasn't married to him, if I wasn't married to her, then this would be so much easier. We make excuses instead of calling a sin a sin. And we blame some of us. We hide behind religion. Uh, in fact, the reason why you think of church as a place full of hypocrites is because we are. <laughs> it, it is a place full of hypocrites. And what is so dangerous, especially about like my job, or if you get more involved in the church, is you can begin to hide behind that. You can begin to crap this image of this kind of perfect person you are because of what you do at the church. I preach sermons or, you know, I, I, I run the, the audio or I, I clean up after the place where I'm at the church all the time. And we begin to hide behind religion. So the world thinks we're something that we are not. A big one in our culture is social media. You know, people put out uh, their very best on social media. And, and why are they doing that? Why, why do we not put our worst on social media? Because we want the world to think a certain way about us. It's one of the things I worry most about my daughter growing up is I think it's incredibly hard on teenage girls more than anybody else. You're comparing yourself to the beauty of others when they've got their airbrush on and they're perfect in their Instagram photo and you think you've got to look like that or you don't measure up. And so what do you do? You try to put this image out there so that you measure up to this image. And what is all this? It's just fig leaves. It's just things that we're hiding behind to keep us from revealing who we really are. But what I love about God is God says, come to me and I will cover you. See, the first death in Genesis is not actually a human death. God notices the, the leaves that are covering Adam and Eve, and he says, take those off and let me cover you. And what he does is he kills the first animal, and he takes the hide off of this animal, and he gives them a good covering. See, it is a bad thing when you and I try to cover our sins, but when we come to God and we allow him to cover our sins, it is a blessed thing. Psalm 32, 1-5 says this, 
How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, confess. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Do you see what he said there? He said that covering from God actually came when he stopped trying to cover himself. When he stopped trying to conceal what was going on and opened up, what he found was that God was there to cover him. Now, friends, this sermon is very important. And the reason why this sermon is very important is because this is what makes your faith real. Now, as we come here today, I would imagine that 90% of you, maybe 99% of you, if I were to ask you on the way in the door, if I were to say, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? You would say, yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. But one of the things I say here to sin a lot, because I really want you to understand this, is my goal is not that you would simply say that you believe something. I want you to believe it so much that you live like you believe it. Like, like people would look at your life and they'd say, I know he believes it. It's the difference in saying, I believe a parachute works and jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> There's two different kinds of faith. But, you know, I have a faith that a parachute would work. I'm not jumping out of an airplane. I guarantee you that because I don't have that kind of faith. It's, it's the mental faith and it's the active faith. And guess what kind of faith Jesus wants? He does not care for people who just simply have mental faith. Like they could pass some kind of theological exam. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. He wants people who believe it so much that it turns into an active faith. And when we come to confessing our sins, this is where the faith gets very active. Do you believe that Jesus is the covering for your sin? Because that animal sacrificed in Genesis was a foreshadow of God's ultimate covering for us in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ came and he was the shame. He took all of the shame on. He was the one who wore the potato sack and threw dirt in his hair. Jesus Christ comes as the God of this universe and they strip him naked. They put him on a pole and they impel him. They, they put uh, nails through his wrists and through his feet. And they, they would do these crucifix, crucifixions in public places. It would almost be like um, if we were to have them today, they'd put him in the parking lot of Walmart where everybody is coming so that everybody can shout insults as they go on. They can laugh and they can take their kids and they can point and they can say, don't ever become like this person. And anybody who wanted to could come by and spit in their face. And we know that uh, in the Gospels, it says that the, the Roman soldiers gave Jesus a drink on a sponge. And you read that and you think, wow, how nice that they would give Jesus a, a sponge, something to drink. You think, man, that's just one act of kindness. But what we find out is that in the Roman army, the sponges were used as toilet paper. So literally, as our Savior, the, the King of this universe, cries out his final words, he's doing so with the taste of toilet paper in his mouth. He was shamed so that you wouldn't have to be. He was uncovered, laid bare, so that you could trust in his covering. And when you refuse to trust in his covering, but you hold on to your leaves, you know what you're doing? You're slapping that sacrifice in the face. You're saying, God, I don't believe that your covering is actually enough for me. I don't believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for me to confess my sins. So I'm going to keep holding on to myself and to my own dignity. See, friends, the question I have for you today is, do you live like this is true? Because if you do, then you will take the brave step of laying yourself bare and telling somebody and telling God what is going on. Confessing your sins. Because ultimately, the, the, the option we have is humility now before God in confession, trusting that that covering from Jesus is enough, or humiliation later. Because your coverings will fall apart. They always do. 
they will fall apart. It might not be for 20 years, but it will absolutely fall apart. And this image that you've crafted for yourself will eventually begin to show cracks. And the longer you try to hold on to it, the harder it will get and the more anxiety you will have and the more pressure it will put on your life. Uh, I've been fascinated this week uh, with the, the case of Alec Murdoch. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this. He's a lawyer in South Carolina. He pronounces his name Alec Murdoch, although it should be pronounced Alex Murdoch, which is like the first sign this is a really terrible human. I'm just kidding. But uh, it, it's Alec Murdoch is how he pronounces it. And he's this lawyer in South Carolina. And from the outside looking in three years ago, you would have thought this guy has the life that I want. Uh, he comes from a long line of lawyers, very rich family, uh, had a beach house, had a, a spouse that looked like they loved each other very much. His family was very close-knit. Kids are smiling in every picture. And he fast-forward three years, and he just was convicted guilty for killing his wife and his youngest son. Family completely torn apart. Comes out that he's been stealing money to live this lifestyle, so now he's absolutely broke. He has 99 more charges that he has to face in court. And he's alone eating jail food. Why? Well, because he tried to hold on to that covering as long as he could. But eventually what happens to all of our best coverings? They fall apart because they're just fig leaves. And you can't hide from God. The day of judgment comes to each and every one of us. So today my plea to you is, if your marriage is falling apart, confess the problems now. Because it's a lot better to confess them now than to have a divorce later. And you say, oh Blake, but, but my marriage, you know, what would people think? Because they all think we have this perfect marriage. Oh, what would they think when the divorce comes out? You know, if, if you're having parenting problems, you need to confess those now. Come and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help because it's better for you to confess your parenting problems when your kids are six or seven years old than to wait until they're 28 years old and they don't want to be around you at all. And you've destroyed not only your relationship with them, but you've caused them trauma and you've caused them pain throughout their entire life. Confess the secret sin now. You know, people say you're drinking too much. You're probably drinking too much. Confess the, the thing that you say, you say over and over and over again. I wish I could stop this, but I can't seem to stop it. Confess it now. Put sackcloth on and dirt in your face. Look humiliated. You say, Blake, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm up in the church or people think I'm this religious person or I know this much about the Bible. I don't care. It's just a fig leaf. You're hiding behind the fig leaf of religion and it's better that you confess that sin now than for it to grow to its full strength and destroy your life later. And if you have a relationship with somebody that you know you've sinned against, you say, I didn't treat that person correctly and it's caused relational strife, what you need to do right now is confess your sin to them. Confess it to God and confess it to them. I don't care if you're the father and you say, well, it would ruin my reputation with my kids if I told them I was wrong about this thing. <laughs> no. You need to confess that sin now because the one who confesses his sin and trusts in the covering of Jesus Christ is the one who will prosper. The one who conceals, the one who hides is the one who ultimately will not prosper. The choice is yours. Humiliation later or humility now. I'm calling on you to trust in the covering of God. Trust that through confession, God will prove himself true. That the covering of Jesus will be enough. And that you will find healing and you will ultimately prosper. Uh, if the band wants to go ahead and come forward, uh, I'll close with this. Uh, Luke 18 uh, verses 10 through 14 show, 10, yeah, 10 through 14 show us uh, two kind of images. And you need to decide which one you are. We see a person who's trying to conceal and cover. And we see a person that is humble. That is saying, I'm trusting in the covering of God alone. Verse 10, it says this. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. Woohoo! 
This guy is hiding behind the, the guise of morality and religion. He says, look at me. This prayer is all about his reputation. Look how good and awesome I am. And then we see the other person putting on sackcloth and dirt. Because the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you refuse to humble yourself, you will be humiliated. This is the truth of the world, as our Savior says. And so will you have faith in His words? Not mental faith, but true faith in His words. I'll close with this story that I heard this week from a lady's funeral. 82 years old, lived her life for the Lord, but she had a very interesting testimony because she had grown up in the church, married a deacon. She was played piano at the church. 43 years old or so, she begins to feel this tug in her heart that she had never actually given her life to Jesus. And she had never actually repented of her sins and made Jesus the Lord of her life. And uh, the, the way the pastor told it was she, she literally got mad at God. She started arguing with God because she felt like God was telling her, you need to humble yourself. You need to show the people that you've repented. You need to, in this church, they had to walk down the aisle, you know, play just as I am for 35 minutes until somebody comes down the aisle. And uh, so she felt like God was telling her to come down the aisle, to go to the pastor in front of everybody, and then to allow the pastor to uh, present to the church this brand new Christian. And she said she began to argue with God. She said, I'm married to a deacon, God. I can't go forward. What will people think? I've been this Christian lady for so long and you want me to go forward and tell them that I'm just now understanding who you are? I've just now repented and given my life to you? And she said, God said yes, over and over. She couldn't shake it. She said, well, can I do it later? I mean, I'm playing the piano. This is going to be so awkward. I'm the one playing just as I am. And you want me to stop playing the piano? I'm going to do it later, God. And she said, God tugged her. He said, no, you cannot do it later. And so this lady put on sackcloth and dirt. She stopped playing the piano. Everybody looked at her. What's going on? I mean, that's a sin in Baptist churches. You don't stop playing just as I am until the pastor says, stop it. And she stopped playing. Got down from her piano, walked up in front of everybody and gave her life to Christ in front of all. What is that, friends? That's the kind of humility we need. Whether you're just coming to Christ for the first time or you're coming to Him again because you can't figure it out because your marriage is falling apart because your life's falling apart and you're tired of trying to hold it all together. Confess your sins to God and confess it to somebody who can help you. Please, I'm begging you. Because you will either be humbled now and exalted by God or you will be humiliated later because you trust in yourself. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for the way that you love us. God, I am not you, so I cannot see into the hearts of these people. They all look great. They all look fantastic. They all look, they all look like they have it all together. But God, I know that beneath that covering that we all put on, there is pain and there is suffering in this room. There are people who are trying to hold it together so that nobody sees what's going on. God, I pray that they would lay down those defenses today. They would come to me or they would come to somebody and they would say, we need help. We confess our sin. We lay it bare in front of you. And God, we trust that your covering is enough. We trust that you will exalt us. And friends, if you would, with your eyes closed and head bowed, take just about 10 seconds to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message?